It's great to be here on this episode of the podcast with Pat Nevin, former Scottish internationalist and now writer and broadcaster. Hi there, Pat. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's actually great to be anywhere because uh, the last seven days I've been uh, I've had COVID, so oh. uh, <laughs> no. I've been very very fortunate. Uh, I'm double jabbed, I'm boosted, ah. so I had a couple of days where I felt a wee bit ropey, and that's ah. it. Oh. Um, so much so that I've been cycling this morning. Have you? Um, not outside, indoors. I've got yeah. an indoor bike where I cycle and watch Cheers at the same time. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's not modern technology for you, isn't it? <laughs> so it's uh, fantastic. But uh, So I'm absolutely fantastic. Um, brilliant. And delighted with the fact that, you know, had this happened two years ago, had I got COVID two years ago, who knows? Yeah. Could have been in hospital, could have been anything. Yeah, here I am with the mildest bout you can imagine and uh, ready to get back to life again. Brilliant, brilliant. It's good, good that you're, you're healthy there. And I'm looking behind you. I'm a big Bowie fan. I'm seeing, I'm seeing heroes there. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I, do, I do this. I very specifically do this. I do a few. The last two years, obviously, a lot of podcasts and a lot yeah. of... Uh, and I was on BBC TV yesterday yeah. morning and, and ITV News talking about COVID and football, etc. I don't want anyone to have to look at my ugly face. So I put something behind me that people go, hey, what's that? What's what's that? Which, one's yeah. that? Which one's that? Which one's that? And everybody, and afterwards, usually people on social media, are, they're not talking about what I've talked about. They're talking about what's that. And I love, oh, no, love I that. Oh. It takes them like, you know, their, their eye line away from me. And I'm oh. always delighted with that. Because you're, you're a big music fan, aren't you? That's one of the, the things that struck me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, always been. Um, I mean, everyone, lots of, not everyone, but most people have a kind of a liking for, but I've got a kind of real passion for it. And again, it's not even a very specific type of music. I'm kind of known for my kind of left field indie kind of John Peel sort of yeah. vibe. Um, but I've got really wide Catholic taste. I mean, I like a lot of classical yeah. music. I like a lot of music. Um, but I still do, you know, well, not for the last two years, but, you know, I've DJed consistently okay. for decades um, yeah. and I'm constantly asked to do festivals and stuff um, and I don't get as much time to do it anymore because <laughs> sure. you know the job that I've been doing the last number of years and also on top of that I've been writing a lot more now um, yeah. and you have to make decisions about life about what's the right things to do so uh, and also can I whisper it you know when you get to my age DJ until 3.30 in the morning. Oh. <laughs> it's, kinda, it's okay, you can do it, but you feel it the next day. <laughs> oh, and see when you're DJing, uh, uh, is that with the, the records, the records, the actual big, or the... the no, I, I don't do... Don't, I, I loved that all, all those years ago, but it's kind of pointless. It's a bit... Yeah. I, I found it a bit indulgent in the end. I just thought, <laughs> actually, I can get, you know, I can get more of them on one of those little sticks. Yeah. I can get more on that wee stick I know. than if I had a, a whole carload of records with me. So what you do is you, you can do it in a number of ways. Actually, sometimes I bring um, CDs. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of nice way. It kind of, it's a halfway house. Um, but it's it's kind of, I live in Scottish borders. Yeah. Quite often you'll be DJing in London or different parts of the, you know, Britain. Hauling your record collection is not just not. <laughs> not a good idea. Apparently, anyway, if you turn up in places and there's no decks, yeah, you know, like record decks, there's just CD decks now. So, hey, oh. 
this move with the times. I have to admit, I, I moved about eight years ago now, and that was one of my regrets was I sold my uh, early Rolling Stones collection, the whole lot of them. And, and now I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I had them. I wish I had them. No, I was with an old friend so recently who um, didn't know. He, he died, he was dying, and he died a couple of weeks ago. Long story, oh, but a yeah. friend of mine and a friend of my son's who, who used to go to Habs games with my son. Anyway, we knew he had a lovely long life and uh, we knew it was time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I went to his house for the first time, yeah. you know, and you know, we knew each other, but he, 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 I eventually went to his house and I just seen his record collection. I went, can I have a look at it? I just love record collections. Yeah. Oh my God, he had no idea what he had. He had oh. absolutely no idea. And I went through it. And that's every single original Beatles seven-inch wow. single, mint condition, <sighs> as if never opened pictures on the sleeves and everything. And I'm going, do you know what this is? <laughs> it's not just Beatles, it was original yeah, stuff and yeah. real originals, mint condition, and some rare stuff as well. So, uh, you know, people who sell it, if you're listening out there and you're selling your collection, Make sure you talk to somebody reputable first so that you know you're getting the value for it. Exactly. So let's, is it Easter House you're from originally, Pat? Is that where you were brought up? Yeah, Yeah, my my family are, uh, my original kind of Irish Catholic from Kildare over in Ireland. Uh, Hence, I have the dual nationality of Irish and and, and British, Scottish or UK or whatever you want to call it. But we came over as two generations and my dad and my mum, you know, usually Mm. it's the story of many Irish immigrants. And uh, by the time I was born, we'd moved to Easter House. Everyone had been moved out of centre of Glasgow to these satellite places like Easter House, Castle, Milk, Drum Chapel. And they were sink estates eventually. And, uh, you know, people talk about woe is me, get violins out, you know, sort of thing. Um, because it was there was no facilities. There was you go and kick a ball, or you got in a gang fight, mm. or you know you, you drank, mm-hmm. um, and that was it. You know there wasn't much else there at the time. That sounds terrible. I had a ball, I had a great time. <laughs> My family yeah, were yeah. very very. They weren't strict. It's not really like that. They were quite more very moral actually. Yeah. Um, and although they were Catholic, they were much more just Christian socialist yeah. attitudes. Um, so there was no bigotry in my home, none at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely would not be accepted, which is kind of unusual for the yeah. in the East End of Glasgow because yeah. there was a lot of that sort of stuff going around. And we were brought up to speak differently, as in, I didn't use a Glasgow accent like uh, I spoke a, a lot more. Although I've got a strong accent, I'm yeah. pleased with it. I'm fine with it. I like it. Um, but we didn't swear. We didn't do that sort of stuff, which is really unusual and considering we live in a tenement in Glasgow yeah. in the East End in the roughest part and I'm the family failure of six mm-hmm. kids because I didn't get my degree right. I went and played football after oh, doing yeah. two years of it yeah. <laughs> and then thought well I'll come back to the degree after kicking a ball around so yeah it was Easter House but I think what people do forget is the working class in Scotland, west of Scotland, and yeah. lots of Scotland anyway, yeah. have got this autodidactic thing of, you know, really into education, bettering yourself, understanding the world. And it's not snobbery. No. It never was snobbery. Yeah. It was absolutely, why shouldn't you improve your mind with reading, etc.? 
Um, and it was a real historical thing. And one of the th th things I always found when it was later, when I was you know, years later signed with Chelsea, and I'd be sitting reading Gogol or Dostoevsky yeah. or Chekhov, whatever. And people would, you know, some journalists would say, <laughs> smart Alec, etc. I'm thinking, no, no, that's a real Glaswegian working class thing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. is. And it was, you know, historically, and it was sometimes linked up with political thinking. Mm. I was quite political in a kind of anti-apartheid way when I was a kid, you know, 16, 17, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when it's turned on its head and people can abuse you for that, I always thought that inverted snobbery was offensive. Yeah, <laughs> really yeah I, I know it, I know what you mean. I remember, it's, it's interesting you say that about, you know, the working class, the value of education. I was, you know, my grand grandfather was a native Gaelic speaker, so he was from Lewis. And I always remember, you know, uh, my father was, my grandfather told my father, he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to speak Gaelic, you know, mm -hmm. at the time he was speaking English, because English is the, the language to get on, and education was really important, you know, and that, it was that drive, as you say. To it's a real shame you lose the Gaelic, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that was that thing, that the, that the English language was the language to get on and, and, and educate yourself as well and that was just one I think that's one of the reasons the Gaelic language died in the Highlands actually I would have said yeah a bit to be honest it did help people get on now yeah. I come from East House now you come from Brora right Sutherland <laughs> okay so can I ask you a question mm. I'm just taking your time off here yeah right? so I've been to Brora yeah and I was on my honeymoon I was yeah. driving and uh, you may know or you may not know the answer to this and as I went to this lovely place, and we stayed in yeah. a nice hotel, and uh, I went down to the bar with yeah. my new wife, who's yeah. um, still around 32 years later. Great. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, to, he said, the man behind the bar said, oh, you're nearly married. And he goes, I said, yes. And he goes, well, in that case, cheers. And he poured me a glass and gave me a glass of whiskey. Yeah. And I liked my whiskey. Yeah. And I drank it. And I, my reaction was, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. Yeah. I don't care if it's food or drink or anything. That is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, everyone says that. Oh. <laughs> what, is, what is this nectar you've oh, yeah. given me? And he goes, this is a local Broder whiskey. Yeah. I went, oh, really? I, I said, well, when I get back from honeymoon, I'm buying some bottles yeah. of that. That's fantastic. Never, ever could find it. I thought I'd been to Brigadoon. <laughs> it's as if it didn't exist. Do you know what? Is it only a few years ago I discovered, and you may know the truth of this, yeah. they closed down the distillery. Is that right? Well, it's, it's funny you see it, but and actually, I'm gonna. I can imagine. I can imagine you. I'm seeing the hotel. I think you were in, and if you were lucky, they used to have a little barrel, a tiny barrel behind the bar, which was the best. Klein Leash, that was the original whiskey. Hopefully you got some of that, but there was this other one. Now I'll tell you what happened to the story is, there was two, the distillery, the old distillery was called Brora, and it, it was up at the Klein Leash and it was down the down up in the hill. And then they built a new distillery, which was branded Klein Leash, but it was then used a lot for blended. But it's funny you say the Brora one, they've just reopened it. They're just rebottling it. Right. Now, yeah. 
will it be as good as the old one? Because I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about it for quite a few years and I went online and I said, I wonder if you can buy a bottle of the old stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, you I can see. Yeah, current professional football, I'd be able to afford that. Exactly, exactly. And I think anyway, that's why they opened it after again, because the prices were astronomical for the old Brora, I think. So my, my memories of Brora are good. Um, of, of tasting one of the most beautiful, if the most beautiful thing I've ever tasted. Well, life. that's a great testament to the village. That's a great <laughs> testament. So, you know, as you're saying, growing up, and, and you could see that, the influence, you know, your family had on you and that, that kind of moral values. Did that, has that influenced you right the way through your life? Have you, you kept that, you know, for your decision-making and how you lived your life, you know, in and out of football? Uh, absolutely, 100%. It's yeah. completely and utterly focused, directed. Um, it showed me everything to do in life. And when I've ever been, you know, subjected to questions and difficult moments, I've kind of, I've kind of always known what to try and do, you know, to notice I say try and do, mm, yeah. <laughs> try and do the right thing. Um, and there are moments in life when you have massive decisions and you don't know what's the obvious thing, you know, and I maybe got, I mean, as I say, I'm writing a lot. My first book took me out up to the age of 26. Mm. And to be honest, that kind of, moral which was it's not pious it's really not pious it's just just do the right thing by the right people you know in a kind of dead sensible way yeah um really treat people the way you would like to be treated yourself sort of thing try and be helpful to society the society you're in um you're not massive big complex you may have read enough philosophy but see when it comes right down to it, a lot of the simple things are pretty yeah. damn good um how to get through life when it gets complicated, and funnily enough, this sort of stuff appears in my second book, which I'm just finishing writing just now, which is when I've got life gets more complicated as you get older, and particularly if you're an executive in a business, and I was chairman of the PFA, etc. Yeah. Then you have some judgments which there isn't binary black and whites some of the time. There are sometimes the least worst thing you can do. Sometimes that's the answer. Um, and that's not easy because, you know, when people are then pointing, why did you do that? That doesn't sound right. Or you're thinking, well, the alternative was that, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I did the, what was the right of what you possibly could do within that situation. Um, but that sounds almost political. And to be honest, when you have that sort of uh, guiding light or mm. guiding lights, and it, as the years went by, it wasn't religious. I dropped religion many mm. years many, many, many years ago. I'm jealous of people who are religious, but I'm very jealous. I wish I had it. Um, but the other side of it, the kind of, the kind of Judeo-Christian mm. moral yeah. concepts, initial, they, can, they were still there, which, you know, the original one, the ones of them are good. Mm. But any decision ever made, any direction ever made, and to, this, to the smallest thing, like, I'm going to give you an example. Here, yeah, I'll give you a, a, a very recent example. I was doing Chelsea versus Everton. Right, yeah. before. Now, I, my work is, now that's a good job I've got, isn't it? People want to go and watch football and talk about it, right? And I was asked by BBC Radio 5, no, I was asked by Chelsea TV to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So I said, yes, I'll do that, right? 
And then I got a call from BBC Radio 5 Live, who I worked for as well. Could I do that game for them? To which I said, no, no, it's okay. I've, I've, I've agreed to do it with someone else. I didn't ask how much I'm going to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask again. You've agreed. That's it. I was then asked by BT, could I do the same game? <laughs> Trust me, there's a lot more money yeah. <laughs> coming from that. If it's television and you're on the screen and all that sort of stuff. And I said, no, I've already agreed. And they said, could you go and ask Chelsea if they'd let you go for this one? I said, I'll ask if you like, but, you know, on your behalf, not for yeah. me. Yeah. And they're always surprised, and everyone that I work in the media, that I always do this. Yeah. A, if I agree to work for you, I work for you. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter who else comes, and I don't, have, don't care if they ask, give me 10 times the same amount. Yeah. You have an agreement, you have a contract, you have a bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really strange. They, they kind of look at you, because I just tell them exactly what's happening. Uh, <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. And it's amazing many people don't do that. They, they try and wheedle out of it and say, oh, I've not been well, or yeah. this and that. And I think just tell the truth. Just <laughs> tell the <laughs> truth. <laughs> just be upfront. And it's amazing that everyone goes, all oh, right, fair enough. There's no, there's no need to sneak around. Uh, so that's not me being, you know, this kind of earnest, austere kind of bloke. It's yeah. just that easier. That and it's easier. just kind of honest with people. Yeah. So those kind of things that you learned when you're younger, that, you know, you, you made decisions and then A, you stuck by them, but you just, people why and uh i've had quite a few of them over the years you see pat now because that's really interesting isn't it because because in your saying as well you know it's sticking to your word and being honest and 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 keeping it simple for you for yourself in your own head as well if you, and can. If you can but what about interesting what you said there about the the for a lot of people football when they're playing football or when they're watching it seems very black and white it seems very binary isn't it you're winning and losing or you're playing, you're you know you you've got a starting position, or you're on the bench, or you know, and and I've got a contract, or I haven't got a contract. But then you you moved into football management, and you said it there, not the management into managerial side of things, and and things were very grey area. You know, there's the black and white, and then there's the there's but a grey area. I wouldn't say grey because they were grey. Uh, was that an e- how was that transition like for you? Because I know quite a lot of people struggle with that, moving from the play and into, into another role like that. Can I, I'm going to answer that question a minute, but let me park it for just a minute, yeah. right? Before we get away from the, the actual playing career, because I'm going to give you the moral maze yeah. one in that as well. And the moral maze one is, I was, this happened to have written about it. Mm. I was playing for Scotland mm. against England. It's at Wembley, and it's just before the 86 World Cup. I'm trying to get in the squad for the World Cup. I'm on a sub, and the ball's played into me, and I've got Terry Butcher behind me, right? My cousin, Terry Butcher. We are there. Anyway, cousin through marriage, but cousin. Anyway, the ball's come into me, and I'm holding up. I've got him where I want He's right behind me. I know I can turn the big man because mm-hmm. this is what I do, right? Yeah. So I've done it, turned up and gone round. As I've gone round, he's caught me. Side of the leg. But I've got good balance. I can hold yeah. myself up. Hold myself up and go around another player, lay it back to Roy Aiken, who smashes mm-hmm. it over the crossback, right? 
Game finishes, we get beat 2-1. Game finishes 10 minutes later, we get beat 2-1, right? I walk in the dressing room, and a certain Mr. Alec Ferguson, our manager, <laughs> he's not happy. <laughs> and he's come over, and he said, uh, did, uh, did Butcher catch you in the box? And I went, yeah, 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 he did, but I've got to balance him. I managed to keep myself up. And I did, ah, uh, yeah. See where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> and he never said, why didn't you go down for the pen? Yeah. But he, and I got worse than the hairdryer. I got silenced, right? Yeah. And I didn't go to the World Cup. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the reason for it. Yeah. Here's a moral mace. Mm. Should I have dived? Mm. Should I have gone down? Even though I could have stayed up. Mm -hmm. When did I get the keys to the morality of my team? Mm. and indeed my entire country in the yeah, game yeah. against England because I never dived mm. I managed to play 850 games and I stayed in my feet mm. right so because I had this kind of thing where I want no I'll stay in my feet I, I'm not making the more you know I'm not diving unless if I'm taking it I'm taking it yeah so there's a question that I can remember asking myself and I, and I knew the answer which was you know, had I gone down, we got the penalty, and we got to go, and Sir Alec Ferguson would have said, well, you're coming to Mexico with us, and you're in the World Cup squad. With, and that, if I'd have known that hindsight, would I have changed my actions? No. Absolutely no. That, that, don't even think about that for a millisecond. Right? Does that make me holier than thou, too earnest, whatever? No, it's just the way I am. But I also understand that there's plenty of talent and army guys out there going, What? <laughs> Yeah. against England we don't want you and fair enough actually absolutely fair enough and I had things like that so before I get in this big mount of, mountain of sorry mound of morality of that yeah. I'm standing on here I'm perfectly comfortable and always was through my career to beat a player cut in front of him slow down and take a hit mm. penalty I'm perfectly comfortable doing mm. that mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where that's the grey area you're talking mm. about Mm -hmm. you my argument then was no I've got in front I'm not diving I'm manipulating this as a situation where he has to get out of my yeah, road it's his, his fault but it's pretty grey isn't it yeah <laughs> but see Pat, for that example we use that example with Terry say did you have to make a decision when he clipped you you know in your head to stay up or go down or was it instinctive for you to try to stay up um Donald, what a brilliant question, mate. What a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. Ever. That is brilliant. Um, the correct answer and the true answer is you make a decision to go down. I don't make a decision to stay up. It's just natural. Yeah. You would have to make a committed decision to go down. Yeah. I'm not sure that's still true now. I watched a lot of young players just coming into the game, particularly in England, and the natural thing is to throw himself to the ground. Mm. It's been coached and indoctrinated so far into them, and they're so used to seeing it now, mm -hmm. that when they've been playing and coming into the game, that's it, that's the norm. Mm. Um, and it's, so the answer for them may be a different answer for me. Yeah. Sure. That great question. But for me, no, I would have had to make a decision. Yeah. To deliberately lose my balance because mm. my balance was good enough mm. to stay and I was always focused on that one thing. It's a great concept, but you're right. 
and it takes away. I'm not trying to be holy. I'm not trying to be this fabulous moral position that I'm. I'm not like that. I'm. I'm less earnest than that sounds. Um, but it doesn't. It, it really underlines the fact that no, I would have to make a, a specific decision to cheat or affect a situation worse than that. You know. But then again, I remember, I'm not far away from it because. I'll go in front of somebody and take a hit. So it's it's really delicate, isn't it? But isn't it funny we we all decide where our own moral boundaries are? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's it is fascinating. But, but the bit that I think really fascinating, which you've described brilliantly there, is you know all our history at that point, your all your values, all what you were about, it's all in the body, you know. So mm. when you're moving, you're doing something from you born to where you are there it's you didn't have you your your brain didn't get in the way you know you're right. just leading with the body weren't you and looking is looking to stay up and be a footballer as you seen you at a footballer you know so i find that fascinating isn't it it's interesting the, the one the people that i used to watch when i was growing up so the, the late 60s early 70s i mean i'd be watching jimmy johnson playing at celtic yeah. i was a celtic fan in those days mm. and jinky get kicked lumps out of he never showed fear. He never showed pain. He wouldn't roll about pretending to be injured when he wasn't. He would do exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. He wouldn't show weakness. Yeah. When he got kicked, he got the ball and went straight to the defender again. Yeah. As if to say, is that your best shot? Yeah. I just copied that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm doing that. I played against Stuart Pierce and a bunch of nutcase left-backs for years and years and years. Um, and... At no point did I want to show any weakness. And psychological. I mean, I played psychological games. Mm. I was happy to play psychological games, though. Um, particularly Pierce was very good at it. Um, there's a lovely story where uh, just a couple of years ago, I was in a, a game. I was at a game. And I had John Barnes mm. and Chris Waddle and myself having a chat. And Chris Waddle said to me, it was much, much harder for you back in those days when we played and I was like, what? Well, it's because I'm small. Yeah. Why? And he goes, no, 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 we played in the left. You played in the right. Yeah. All the cycles were left back. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, really? And then I started thinking about it. And he was right. right. <laughs> I, didn't re- I hadn't realized it over the years that all the nutters, <laughs> the real nutters was in the English game at the time, they're all left backs. Real thugs. I know there were a lot of them, um, but I kind of liked that. I kind of oddly enough liked it. Uh, I liked the, the battle because um, I'm never going to kick them, but I'm going to tempt you into kicking me. And when you do eventually get booked, party on. So, see, was Jimmy Johnston your big hero growing up, or did you have other, or did you have no, I, heroes? I was oddly not big, big into heroes. Mm. Um, I, I kind of like Bowie, yeah. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, heroes, I, I admired footballers. Yeah. Ability to play football. Did I think they were my heroes? Mm. Not really. Mm. I didn't think of them in that way. Mm. But I admired their ability, mm. uh, some of them. So Jinky or Bertie Holt, who had just lost. David Hay was a big, big... Oh, I love David Hay. Um, but also, I was watching. It was just at the time when the, the great Brazilian team in 1970. Oh yeah. Um, then you had 
a great Celtic team around about that time, um, who would win nine in a row. And then you had Dutch Cruyff coming in. So I could see brilliant footballers, but I admired them for their brilliant ability of football. Now and again, you'd meet them. And you, I didn't have any kind of odd buzz, buzz about yeah. that. I just talked to them. Even when I was younger, I'd just say, hi, yeah, how you doing? You know, my dad sometimes took me down to Celtic training and it was cool, you know. I think people like, I think maybe the first post in my mall probably was musicians mm. or Steve Biko. Mm. Or <laughs> Steve Biko, the, the South yeah. African activist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of more, but I've, I've got, I've always had a slight discomfort with heroes. Mm. Um, maybe the first one I could think was I kind of, if I had owned up to it myself, was, was John Peel. Mm. You know, I really admired and thought him was a friend, admired all the music he mm. produced and admired the fact that he did it for the love of it as opposed mm. to selling himself. Mm. Um, so not, not heroes. Heroes is a kind of odd one yeah. for me. It's, maybe there's something lurking in the background where one shouldn't, uh, what is it? Idolize false uh, oh, clay yeah. feet, doesn't it, or something? Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's, there's a biblical thing there, you yeah. know. You, sh you shouldn't false idols. It's something about yeah. false idols, isn't it? Uh, when I was reading some of your staff part as well, and, and seeing the, the the interviews you've done in the past as well, one of the things really struck me, and you, you, that's what you've said just now has touched it as well, is you've always been real. You seem to have always been really level headed about football, and I was reading when. You, I think it was an Everton interview you did and it said that Celtic said to you you were too small and you just said, yeah, all right. And then you left it at Celtic and you see, you know, just from that couple of lines and then you got the break at Clyde. So you were never like, were you never kind of, oh, I have to do this? Was it always quite, quite, uh, I would like to do it and looking for opportunities? And no, you not even it. that. No, that's too much. Yeah, no, that's too much. Um, I didn't want to do it as a profession. Mm. Um, I decided that by 15, 16, even though I was signed by Celtic as a schoolboy in a rest form, uh, and a lot of people thought I was good enough to become a professional yeah. footballer. I had just seen it in a different way. Now, that's the reason why I've written this book called The Accidental Football. Yeah. It's not, a, it's just honest. It's a true, yeah. honest reflection of how I felt at the time. My older siblings had all went on to do degrees. Yeah. And I thought that's a perfectly sensible thing to do as well. My two older brothers, probably good enough to be pro footballers, mm -hmm. but they gave up to do degrees mm -hmm. or didn't get the lucky break when they needed the mm -hmm. lucky break. But I kind of liked the idea of playing football for the utter joy and love of it. And that's why I played, because I love doing it. The idea of doing it professionally I had a slight fear that it would take the joy out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Openly. I would do it because jobs sometimes do that to you. But also the fact, purely logically, I didn't like the odds. Mm. What percentage of players yeah. actually make a living out of it, get through from the 16-year-olds who sign on for a big club? It's tiny. And I thought, well, I don't like those odds. Um, so I had definitely decided not to be a pro footballer. Celtic agreed. And kick me out. Yeah. <laughs> so, fair enough. But we were in agreement. It's okay. Yeah. Um, they would have been amazed if they'd have known that I was going to turn them down anyway. Oh. Because <laughs> I was I was quite happy to go there and play boys club football somewhere else 
and then go and watch Celtic Miss Hartley. Yeah. Perfectly good, wouldn't it? Um, and I, for me, that felt perfectly normal and reasonable way to be. Because um, I've never seen the attraction of fame. Mm. Never got it. Never, and even before I did my job, before I played football, before I did anything, never seen any attraction to it. And the tiny bit of fame that I've had, no, no, yeah. don't see the point. Mm. Can't see any interest in it. It's, it's, uh, there are more down, there are some upsides, you know, some nice upsides. There are just as many downsides as well if you want to go and live a quite normal life. And so that was not something that was going to push me. Earning quite a lot of money out of playing football, well, there wasn't that huge amount of money on offer of football at the time anyway. And I wasn't a breadhead anyway. I'm not. I've never kind of liked stuff. <laughs> I've never, as long as I can buy enough albums and yeah. feed myself, that, that's all you needed, really. So, you know, I'm, my daughter always winds me up because you go into a shop and she do you not want anything here? And I'm going, no. No, no, <laughs> no yet. I've, I've got enough clothes. I've got what I like, you yeah. know. It's, and she, she, I, she says, well, you're not materialistic. So, I know, but it's not a choice. It's just... They don't, it doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, I like going to see things, having experiences, all that sort of stuff. And uh, she did say an interesting thing to me. She goes, she felt sorry for me. I went, why? And she goes, well, you might think you're pleased with it, but that buzzes you sometimes about getting something you really want. Mm. You don't get that. Mm. <laughs> I went, that's a fair point, actually. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people do get a real buzz or something bit, yeah. you wanted, but... I could name the things in one hand that I've really wanted in my life, you know, and had to save up for. And that's a good thing, you can save up for that. But, you know, apart from an old green MGBGT, apart oh, from that, I remember anything. <laughs> exactly. And in that same interview, a couple of lines jump off the page to me in relation to what you're talking about just now, about what you loved and what, you know, just kind of, brought joy to you and you said Craig Brown let let me dribble as much as I wanted <laughs> and what yeah. a brilliant statement well what, what it is is I did play football for the joy of it and watch yeah. the joy when you get right down to it for me it, it, it wasn't kind of winning really winning was good and a yeah. big part of it was really good winning right and that's fun that's but creativity is better I love the creativity. Um, scoring a goal, say somebody, I got to tap him for two yards. That's great. Yeah, I'm helped the team and the fans are happy and I'm, hey, yeah, as it were. Um, but if I go and get a ball, take it around three players, drag two others towards me, flight a ball to the back post for somebody else to tap it in, mm. that's much better. Mm. That's creativity. You know what you've done. You know how you've dragged everything. Uh, you've pulled, it's like a game of chess, and you've pulled players this way, that way, your mind's thinking this incredible three-dimensional way. Um, if you watch David Silver or mm. you know, De Bruyne, you know, you see them do it all the time. See, when you're in that moment, that's, honestly, it's the best, best, most fantastic thing. So see when you're given enough space to be creative. Craig Brown was brilliant at it when he was at Clyde. He just seemed to get it, he understood. He trusted that I wouldn't be frivolous with it. Yeah. He knew I was a fanatical hard worker. He knew I was a distance runner. Mm. He knew I was a team player as well. 
So when the hard stuff and the ugly stuff had to be done, I'd be there doing it. No worries, it's fine. Um, and he got that because many other managers, they, they, and some fans as well, they put you in these two camps, fancy Dan, hard worker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They do. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. Some people kind of try and do both. Mm. <laughs> and maybe I'd just come after a period in the 70s where a lot of the, you know, the Stan Bowles and Frank Worthington's yeah. and all the rest of it, to be honest, they weren't putting in the shifts. Yeah. <laughs> and I was tarred with that brush. Uh, but I wasn't like that at all. Craig got it. Craig Brown got it immediately. And that's why Craig Brown was a, a very, very, very good manager. Because I always rated managers, because I'd gone away from football and come back, and I, I saw them through different eyes. Um, and I have to say most of them let me down. Mm. Most of them I thought were pretty average. Um, certainly weren't good at uh, man management. Uh, had some technical ideas, but not all of them were great. Um, but the ones who I admired were the ones who spent their time finding out different ways of getting the best out of different people. Mm. Now, that sounds like the most simple thing. I'm talking to you here, and yeah. you know that that's the yeah. case. That, yeah. You know that too. Yeah. It's amazing how many didn't. Mm. It's amazing how many didn't, and certainly are years, I, I played with managers, some who are very, very famous, who were rank rotten at that, really poor. But the good ones, and the best I ever saw was, was Steen. Steen, Jock Steen was just a genius, absolute genius at manipulation and making you not feel as if you've been manipulated. He was, was, was absolutely spectacular at it. That's why Sir Alec often talked about Steen as, you know, as the man that he looked up to more than anyone else. Sir Alec was very, very good at that as well and, and adapted his methodology through his career. Mm. But it's amazing. And maybe it's just because I worked with them two and mm. one or two others that the ones apart from them, I thought, well, yeah. they're a bit rubbish. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were a bit average. They were just ex-footballers who happened to do a wee coaching course. There's a big difference between mm. that and somebody who understands the deep psychology of getting the best out of people and the group and the team and melding that together. Because there's quite, isn't there, that it, it's such a, almost a tension between now in, in today's game, isn't it, between when you're speaking, I'm thinking Guardiola, who's almost brilliant at that, you know, deep thinker, how he plays, plus, you know, he speaks about treating everyone differently. So he's got a system, but there's creativity in it. And then you can get other managers or other teams who are, criticised, say, for being overcoached and too rigid. Mm. There must be a right fine line between the both of them as their part, especially in the English game, I would say, in the Premiership. I, I've come to understand over the years, there's just no right way. Mm. There is the right way for the group and the mm. system you have. And it will differ from within them. Now, the right way being the most successful way would, appa would appear at the moment to be Pep's because they are the most successful, you know, with the way they play. But, I mean, not everyone can have that quality yeah. and have that creativity. Yeah. You may well have to use different methodology in your way. So if you are Sean Dyche, I'm guessing it's a wee bit different, you know, and, and it's not yeah. Yeah. completely one-dimensional yeah. from yeah. Sean. Yeah. People used to say that about Allardyce. It couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah. I spoke 
depth to Allardyce, and he was one of the most forward-thinking managers I'd ever known. Yeah. And and yet, and yet, if you read about him, you see him, mm. you, you hear all this, and you're thinking, oh no, you don't know people because they get yeah. this thing from you only hear what you read in the newspaper yeah. or what he wants you to hear. Yeah. Allardyce was really quite special, yeah. really special. Um, for managing to manipulate situations and people and getting the best out of things. Um, but, you know, there are different ways for different people and there's no absolute right way to do it. As you'll notice, I mean, I've, for years, when David Moyes was at Everton, he's a friend of mine, so I'm mm. going to be biased. Explaining to people, he's a top, top, top yeah, yeah. coach at getting the best out of people. Mm. He's a very, very special person. Mm. And... People afterwards, he went to Man United and they were saying, ah, oh, I told you he was rubbish. And I went, no, no, he's, he's exceptional. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Circumstances weren't good there. There's reasons for it. He will be a great manager again. Um, and he is still a great manager. Oh, it's and just trying to explain that to people that you mentioned Craig Brown. Mm. Craig was pilloried for years in Scottish football. Him and Andy Roxburgh. Mm. Years. If you go and look back now, people... Sweep it under the carpet a wee bit. It was the school teachers. That's how they were considered. Um, and they were kind of, they were looked down on. They really were by a lot of people, not by me, because <laughs> I'd obviously, they were, both of them were good to me. Um, but you look back now and you think, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see. You tended to get us to uh, championships, didn't you? And look at what happened afterwards. We had good coaches afterwards. Very, very good coaches and some less good coaches for Scotland afterwards. But you, you, you actually, the problem with, with Brune and Roxburgh, although I wouldn't agree with everything they ever did, they were very, very good at building spirits. They were actually exceptionally good at that and melding teams together. Both of them had that talent. And what, what, do, you, what do you think it was about, you know, Craig and Andy Roxburgh that allowed them to do that then? What, what was it that brought a team together? Did they do anything specific? Uh, openness, education, yeah. um, not seeing it through the same prism that had been what had been what looked at for so many years. They had that prism because they were both football men, but they also both had hinterlands as well. Yeah. So they would use the old school ways, but both were keen. So they would listen to what a jock was to a jock Steen would say. Yeah. But they would then have a look at what was help happening out with that as well. It's no surprise that Andy Roxford turns up being the technical director at UEFA. That's yeah. not, not a shock because you, the thing you work with him, you realise he was technically very good. Um, so that was certainly part of it. They also they had to do a number of things. They had to learn themselves in the job. It was interesting watching them too learn on the job. You can tell I was such a voyeur, can't you? <laughs> Brilliant. I always loved watching it. Yeah. Um, they had a problem. Roxburgh came in, they had a problem with the Scotland national team. And there was a massive schism. And it was mostly between the Anglos and those who were back up in Scotland still. So there was a lot of Aberdeen players, like big Willie Miller and big Alec and all that, and the, the, Scot uh, the Celtic players and the Rangers players. But then there was a bunch of Liverpool players like you know, Kenny and Sunis and Hanson and Nico and lots of others. And it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't a real lovely feeling between the two groups. Now, oddly enough, the younger Anglers, 
like myself and Brian McClare, we kind of sided with the the Scots, the you know, the original yeah. Scots, because we, we'd come through with Andy Roxburgh from youth development. So we, I would be Eric Black's mate. Mm. I would be, you know, mm. that that kind of group, the younger ones. And he had to find a way to get around that, and that was hard. That that was, I would say, the hardest thing. How long it. did that take, Pat? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Ah, or from your views, I would say it was two or three years. Yeah, it took them to to think. Right, if we'll use the ones we want to use, mm. you know, and it's hard. It's really hard, and we won't use a big name, or I won't bring him in if he's not going to be part of it. But I will use him if he is committed to us, you know, and. You almost couldn't say it out loud, but they were very, very good at making it clear they needed commitment. Now, around about that time, if I remember rightly, we stopped singing Scotland the Brave and we started singing Flora Scotland. Oh, yeah. And that, I, I, I don't know who really can take responsibility for that. I kind of think it was Roxy mm. um, because he had us learn it as kids under 18. I'd never heard that song before I was 18, 19. You know, and I never heard it. it; just didn't happen in Easter House. Um, but we all learned the words, and we all sang it before youth games. And suddenly, it became, "Come on, Scotland!" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not yeah. anything else. Um, you've actually pulled the group together. Yeah. It wasn't just a, It wasn't just singing that. It, but I'll tell you what; it was a good party. Yeah, it, 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 it really was a, a good party. It brought us yeah. together, and there was that spine tingling moment. I mean, I can remember, you know, Mexico and yeah. Finland and places like that singing this, and there would only be a group of 20 or 30 Scots mm -hmm. who'd gone all the way to see us youth players. How proud it made you. And we never, we'd never lose that. So that, that was, they knew they had to do that to bring together a group. Um, they were also very good at understanding players that let them down too often. They, and, you know, you, it was a big thing back then of, you know, he didn't turn up unless it suited you. you know, there were a number of players that regularly didn't do that. And I knew that was happening. And there were some managers who were ensuring that was the case. Um, have a look now at Stevie Clark. Yeah. Have a look. If you don't turn up, didn't matter. Didn't care how good you are. Yeah. You're not part of us. And don't you just love it? Yeah. <laughs> you just love that Brilliant. we're all part of this group. And no names and no pack drills, but if anyone mucks about with it, mm -hmm. honestly, A, Clarkie won't have them back. Mm -hmm. B, Tom Army won't have them back. Yeah. Not interested. We don't want, we'd, we'd actually probably rather not get there mm -hmm. than get there using them people. We want to do it as a group. Um, and that's understanding that because you get more out of the group. You're much more likely to succeed mm -hmm. when, even if you lose a very good player, if you've got the whole group working together. And that, that's where. Again, I, I would I admired Roxburgh and Brown. You know, Brown. Craig was great for doing that. Um, but also in a very personal sense, Craig kind of got me. <laughs> yeah. not, not all managers did. Brilliant. I think I think that's a, a you know a great not just a story part and, and because it describes what I was thinking when I was listening to you. You know, change takes a while, isn't it? You have to be you know that's. I was thinking about Steve Clark's journey so far with Scotland. You know, it takes two or three seasons, eh? two or three years, and you have to be 
persevere with it. That, and then people forget when it starts to be successful, they forget the coming through the hard time, don't they? Well, you know, there was a few people, one Clark, he sacked it a few times, you know, and the period was in. And because of his, his doer persona, and he's not like that, he's one of my mates. He's, he's, he's just, he's like, you know, that whole Chick Murray, Andy Murray, Kenny yeah. Deglish kind of do yeah. a Scottish thing. Yeah. You know, that's Clarky. You know, and Brian McClare's an old man now. He's yeah. the same. We love that kind of do <laughs> Scottish. But it's humour. Yeah. And it's and it's dry as the driest bone yeah. you've ever found in yeah. a beach. Um, but we know that there's an honesty and an, an honour, honourability. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've got it's so much time for people like that that do that. But also in the midst of it all, I mean, I've been chief executive to go back maybe 25 minutes later to the original question you asked me um, of a club. And you bring a manager in. We make the mistake of thinking, right, I'm going to bring this manager in and he is the answer to everything. And he knows the world. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows, uh, of course they don't. They've got to learn as well. They've got to learn about the individual capabilities of each you know, player they've got and how they work together and how you pull them. And sometimes it snaps into place. Mm. That's fine. That's great. You know, sometimes it won't. Yeah. And you need to understand the basics of A, are they hardworking? Yeah. B, do they have an overarching view? Do they have a long-term view of where the problems are, how they can be solved? And can you talk to them about that? I never wanted to be a manager, um, but I like the idea of, choosing one and watching mm. you know, this, this thing develop and helping development yeah. if, if asked. And I, I, I see a manager coming in it, and I'm asked about this all the time in my other job with you know, radio, et cetera. Mm. And I will, I will try to give the nuanced understanding depth, right? Mm. And then you realize that a large number of the radio shows, the second question is, should he get sacked? <laughs> you think, well, <laughs> I, and it's, it's just the way the culture is. The culture yeah. wants to be binary. Yeah. The culture wants to be yes or no, black or white, sell, don't sell, sack, don't sack. You know, and you think, time, sometimes, time. Yeah. Give them time, give them understanding. People don't want to do it now. Now, I know why clubs are panicky and edgy, because the finances are huge and they're difficult and they're dangerous and they can go wrong and they're frightened. Um, but you need to be big enough and strong enough to stand back and say, right, okay, I believe in them. I mean, I've watched many clubs and the, the sack managers left, right and centre. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you not sacking the person who gave them a job? Because you obviously got a wrong time and time again. That's <laughs> what bit that gets me. Um, so I'm... I'm, I'm always given more nuanced, hopefully given a little bit more depth, understanding that there's a time, like re quite recently, um, Jack Ross was sacked at Hibs. In actual fact, he'd done, he brought Hibs, if you stand back to the best period of time, and being a hippie these days, I was delighted and joyful of what he'd managed to build. Now they had a wee rocky patch for seven, eight, nine games. Right, seven, eight, nine games. Fine. It's okay. You got to cut final, and uh, they're still the, the best period that Hibs have had in terms of league position for decades. Maybe they sacked them, and I'm going. 
what really is in the short term isn't now he was sacked and that's fair enough and there was calls by fans to get him sacked and the press were on him to get him sacked and that's the difficulty i have in that industry that it's pretty short-termist all the time but then you look at the ones that are successful and they never yeah. seem to learn this do they yeah. <laughs> Klopp, how long has he been there Pep, how long has he been there? <laughs> you know, the only successful club in England that changes the manager all the time is Chelsea. Yeah. And that's because they fling billions at it. <laughs> it's so it's not common. Yeah. They fling billions at it. So um, that's why I'm always stunned by that. I always want to sit back in these situations and say, no, A, there's not just a moral compunction to give somebody the right amount of time to turn this damn super tanker around. They have to learn a bit themselves. But also, it's actually good thinking. Yeah. Because you'll probably do better in the longer term. But it's been brave enough to do that. Yeah. You know, when you're coming on there, when you were saying about being brave enough to do that, I mean, it's almost a kind of general point, but coming right the way back to your, your own upbringing and how you were with a player right the way through to, you know, doing the, the chief executive managerial side of things as well. How difficult was it or how difficult do you think it is for an individual to maintain their individuality and, and not just give in to being the same as everyone else or play in a certain kind of role within it? Because you've um, obviously maintained your individuality right the way through it, you know, your career. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a good, it's, it's an interesting question because uh, yes, you're under pressure to change. Yes, you're always under pressure to conform, always. Uh, but you have, I was a bit pig-headed, you know, so when in the early 80s, I'm hearing people singing racist songs at football clubs, I'm, I'm not having it. I'm yeah. not accepting it. Yeah, culturally, it seems to be a thing that's accepted and people shrug. I'm not. Now, I was warned against speaking up about it, but I don't care. Now, that's all very well. People go, oh, you might have. It's good of you to do that all those years ago before people were doing it. And I said, no, but I can help it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not like as if I was going, hey, I'm yeah. in front of the vanguard here. Yeah. And look at me. No, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I was just so annoyed about it. Yeah. It's unfair. So it's not you being... I don't think it's been brave. I don't think it's been anything other than being a bit, no, I have my ideas mm. and I'm going to stick by them unless you give me a better one. And that wasn't difficult when you're that sort of personality. Yeah. When you are, have indoctrinated or been indoctrinated to think in that way. Mm. And I was, and I was quite happy. And I thought out with the indoctrination as much as I could and still yeah. do. Yeah. Anything I'm ever asked about, I may have an idea about, it, mm -hmm. but I'll think about it and I'll consider it. And I, I may sometimes change my mind about it. As there are many things I've changed yeah. my mind about over the years. I'm comfortable to do it. The, the person who's got an idea and still thinks the same way 40 years on, I'm afraid you might have got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we have to learn in this world, keep your ears open. So that was something that, I, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily that difficult for me. Mm. I, I would always just think, no, there was something happened a wee while back. Um, five or six weeks ago, I was on a radio program and they were asking about footballers. And I'd just been given the, the figures of those who had been unvaccinated. 
And I was absolutely fuming. I said, what? A, I, I thought it was madness. But the thing that concerned me most was, wait, wait, do you not care about society? Mm. You won't get, get ill. I don't think you will. You probably won't get ill. You're young, you're fit and you're healthy. But if you keep this going and people who aren't vaccinated may well be the ones who pass it on to us, who mm. other vaccinated people who will end up crashing the health service mm. and that's societal. Do you not care? You're too busy. Oh, no, but I'm fine. And I was so annoyed by it. And it was two beautiful women. I mean, both of them described themselves as activists, but they knew that if they took my line as strong as I was having it, Twitter's going to battle them. <laughs> Thing is, I don't give a stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. It has no effect on me. Yeah. In fact, between you and me, I find it quite funny. Because yeah. if I get the, the hateful stuff, I just giggle, I giggle at it. Yeah. I don't care. You don't know me. It's a third person you're talking to, to hear somebody who you think is me. If there's a reasoned argument, I'll answer. It's rare, yeah. but I'll answer. It, I can't not do that. I can't not be like that. I can't not say, if you feel something's absolutely the right thing, not stand up and say it. Um, so it's not brave. Mm. It's just being yourself and being, and it's, it's never stopped. You know, and it, it can't stop. Right now, I'm going to tell you something might surprise you. I think we're in the hardest time ever. Mm. I think we absolutely are in the hardest time ever, ever. When we are confronted by cancel culture of because of ideas that are out with a certain, what is now a nominative way to think. Mm. And the vast majority of the People don't think that way, even though it's considered normative than the most normal. Yeah. And if you stand out with that and say the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you'll be sacked mm-hmm. or you'll be cancelled or whatever. And there's a lot of talk about it on just now. Um, and it's going to get me. Yeah. It's definitely going to get me because I won't be able to shut up. Because <laughs> if I'm asked, I'm asked. I'll talk about it. And particularly, you know, for a period there working with certain organisations, mm. you're, you're, you're up there to be hit. And there are groups that are going to chase you and they're going to try and pull you down. Even though my old, I, my old opinions, and they shouldn't be old opinions, is you find more out of life for discussing different ideals and ideologies and thoughts and considerations. I like winning an argument by good debate, not by cancelling. Um, and that's, I think we're in a difficult situation here. And it'll hit me eventually. It's going to hit, well, it's hit me once or twice already, but not to a massive degree. But um, that question you initially asked yeah. about being an individual, being yourself and being strong in your attitudes. And is it easy to be that outsider, which I've yeah. always been within most of it? It's never been harder. Yeah, I think you're right. I would, and I think one thing I'm fascinated with part and it's from about the kind of people from really and 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 football comes into it because you grew up you know in Glasgow and the whole history of Scottish football at that point and it was like this in, in England as well but in particular in Scotland that whole industrial Scotland you know and how it influenced football and coaching and now if you look at Scotland now for me it's almost unrecognisable in terms of the industrial landscape, the economic landscape, and how that affects football and people and young people. 
do you see a difference in in football because of the the change in society in Scotland, how things are done and how things are played? Yeah, no, yeah, no, there is a hundred percent. One of the ways is when I when I brought was brought up in his house, you fought or you drank or you played football. If you're a young lad, right? It's quite a lot of football played then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not everybody wanted to fight. Not everybody. Yeah wanted to you know drink yeah. or could afford to drink yeah. so there was a lot of football play the numbers of playing football when my generation and generations before were huge yeah um and there was a certain period of time through 90s or 80s 90s whatever where you know it's more complex than that because it involved uh, less being taught at schools less time and there was teacher strike which i don't blame them but you know that stopped a lot of school teams, etc. But there was less people doing it. There were other things for youngsters to do. There were other competing sports, interests, hobbies, whatever. Um, when we became wealthier, as we have, yeah. um, you you don't actually have to do those one things. You have those choices. So in that point of view, it's a positive. It's an absolute positive that you know we have choices in life and every kid doesn't have to play football because some that wouldn't be the perfect thing to do. They can do other things. Um, so that's a positive thing. It's also a negative thing because we've got less numbers that are coming through yeah. to play football and we will get less good players mm. coming through because some who, the brilliant example would be Andy Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Murray would, would have been a probably an international footballer. Yeah. But he chose something else because there were other mm. options, you know, and that will be the case with people going into businesses or computer gaming or whatever, you know, and that's the way it is. You compare that to some other countries who haven't had the massive jump forward financially that we have uh, over the decades there. They're co- they've caught up and been taken over yeah. us. But they're still all just playing football. Yeah. That's an oversimplification. Yeah. But their numbers are gigantic. Mm. And also they've got better facilities now they've never had before. So when you say, you know, that dark incredible industrial world that was the west of scotland which had certain upsides which was an honesty and a hard work and you know you can get work and there's a trust in work and there's enough there's the fear of not working wasn't there to yeah. the same degree but then <clears throat> you see where the negative the, the positives are where oh wait a minute people are dying less early you know some of these heavy industries weren't safe or secure mm-hmm. or could ever keep on going. When we look back at it now, the standard of housing that those people working in those areas, I mean, I'm, I'm getting my economic history head on here, can you yeah. tell? Uh, <laughs> modern history. Yeah. And it's, there's no point in saying it's better, it's worse. It's just different. Yeah. It moved on. And what we've had to do is find a way for purely football in terms to retrain in a different way. So industry had to retrain, but football had to retrain in a different way. And it began to do it. It took so many years, so many painful years. And I tried my best when I was within Scottish football to make sure that the indoor facilities for kids to develop through our dark winters and freezing winters, when you can't really go out there. We were so horrendously slow at building these facilities. Just dreadful. Um, and it, it let down a, a, a couple of generations. I mean, why would you go and take 
a seven-year-old boy or girl outside and stand them outside in the freezing cold and rain and snow, you know, to get three kicks of ball over 45 minutes. I mean, honestly, as a parent, I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't do it. Whereas if they were in a situation where there's lots of balls, there's lots of training and there's good thinking about the technical work of it, and by the way, you can do it indoors in the winter. Yeah, took us forever. Absolutely forever. We squandered decades when we should have been building these facilities. And that's the thing that you can talk about industries, etc. but it's time, it's nurture. And yeah. we should have nurtured in a different way. See, just to finish with, part uh, there, I'm going to put you on the spot almost a bit there, and I haven't given you any time to think about, about this, and it's coming, like away from, it's coming away from football, and to finish with, and because and, and, I think that, you know, that your bigger message is for me when I'm listening to you is about encouraging, you see, you know, a, a young person starting whatever career or whatever they want to be, how to be their own, to be their self in, you know, a world that's pressuring them to be something different. What's a piece of advice you would give them to make their own way in the world? And what would be one um, book? And what would be one book you would recommend? I promise not to say mine. <laughs> I've got a tear, so I'll get Really, it, it kind of is sort of written through everything I write. Yeah, it's kind of simple. <clears throat> See if you are doing something, doesn't matter whatever job it is, um, and you try and succeed but you bend yourself into the group to try and succeed. See, then 10 years down the line, if you failed, see if you failed while trying to be somebody else, you'll never forgive yourself. You'll never forgive yourself. And it, it's likely not to work. If you fail, fail trying to be yourself, that's cool. Yeah. You will be cool about it. You will be comfortable in your own skin and your own body and who you are because you have stayed with, who you are, you've, you've not been ugly, horrible, snide, cheating. You've not done any of those things. You're still being yourself. You will also, if you're trying to be like everyone else and ape everyone else and be a sheep and follow in, see if you aren't like that group and you are an outsider pretending to be one of them, they'll spot you. They'll see you. People over time aren't stupid. People know when you're not one of them and you and they don't probably want you to be one of them in that way. I found in almost every area of life that I've worked in, and, and there's been lots and lots of different jobs I've done over the years, people respect you more for being yourself, whoever that person is. They really do. So in the midst of it all, when you're online or when you're doing a job, you know, and everyone's telling you how to be, how to look, what to do, how to think, don't, don't do what everyone else is doing. Look at what everyone's doing and consider what suits you. And that's the thing that a lot of people have forgotten to do anyway, because we've been pushed into such a, a homogenized society at the moment, yeah. particularly online, uh, that the stress is. It's very easy for me to say this, because I don't live online. Yeah. It's not the core of who I am. And for a lot of young people, it is. In reality, you don't have to be that person. The person, it's not the one in the phone you should be looking at, it's the one in the mirror. And that person's worth listening to now and again. Um, be yourself. People will rate you more for it. Yeah. 
for all your work. So that's been, and I loved what you're saying. And when when I'm listening to you and, and throughout uh, you know this podcast, this interview, you you can see from how you are and what you've done and how you you know the the decisions you make. You are so comfortable in your own skin. And I'm not just saying that. And that's the challenge, especially to young people nowadays. You articulated great, isn't it? It's to try to almost be something that's not you. And then there's the dissonance between the two different and that that shows that's, up in some ways that's stress yeah stress is lack of control yeah. stress comes from lack of and every part of life you get to if you're stressed it's lack of control yeah. of a situation yeah. and it's very hard to control situations and i'm not saying i don't get stressed and, and have been in various things before can i finish with one moral question yeah of course you're right you were asking about and the executive role I did at Mallow. Yeah. There was one particular moral position I found myself mm. in where the greyness was difficult. Mm. And I found it interesting but difficult. We had a goalkeeper called Andy Gorham, you may remember. Mm. And uh, just before we were about to play Celtic, it was a picture was released with him with a, a UVF or a UDA flag behind yeah. him. He told me that he knew nothing about it. He was at a range of sports too, seven years previously. But They'd take this picture, mm. and of course, he was then uh, subject to death threats, mm. um, allegedly from Republicans, etc. In the week building up to the Celtic game, Andy didn't want to play in the game uh, because he thought I'd be a sniper there. So I met the manager and I met the, the executive chairman, myself and Andy, and I said, "Look, you should play anyway; it'd be fine." And he goes. <laughs> You're not standing on the goal line, mate. <laughs> Cross hairs. And I said, no, but you should still play. It's probably rubbish. And he goes, yeah, it probably is quite a big word, part. Yeah. And we were all trying to talk him into it. Um, but he was under massive, massive stress. Yeah. So I said, right, okay. If we say you're refusing to play, you're in, the papers are going to murder you. So not the best use of words there, but there you go. Yeah. Um, and I said, I said, right, okay, we've discussed it, the four of us, right? And after the discussion, the four of us, we've decided you won't play. So that's the chief executive, the chairman, manager, myself, and yourself, right? And just to take a bit of pressure off you, mate, I would just say it was a joint decision. It is a joint decision. It was one to three, but it was a joint decision. Mm. <laughs> so I went out and said that to the press uh, the next day. Press all ran the story that the manager had not allowed Gorham to play. Mm. And I thought, well, that's not, that's not true. You, you, you've lied there. Mm. And I was really annoyed about it. Mm. My manager, who's your manager, didn't deserve this. Mm. Moral dilemma now, what do I do now? Mm. Do I throw Andy to the wolves mm. and say, well, it was actually him? Mm. Or, you know, so I had a press conference the next day. And I said, we had a long discussion about it. And uh, it's unfair in Billy Davis. It certainly wasn't him. Uh, they refused to let Andy play. Um, I think it's unfair. We had the discussion. And between the four of us, we made that decision. And that's the line. Um, and I said, do you mind if you all turn off your recorders now and I'll tell you exactly what happened? So they did. I said, this is what happened. I was trying to save a guy whose his life is under threat from getting even more pressure. He's mentally in a very, very difficult place. I was just trying to be helpful. Okay. Now, you're, you're intelligent men and women here. I'm just letting you know, but don't have a go at Billy Davis for this. It's not his fault. We're just trying to do our best for the guy who's under pressure. Next day, the papers, Nevin admits he's a liar. Where did I go wrong? And this is the question. 
morally, I found myself in a position where I am now a liar mm. in their eyes. I didn't lie at any point yeah. in time. Yeah. I just told a certain amount of the information. Yeah. Mm. This is where you, life is complicated. Yeah. And people will say things like that. Mm-hmm. and talk about these things and it happens in politics a lot mm-hmm. and there is not a perfect scenario answer because mm-hmm. if you're honest you're making someone's life horrifying mm-hmm. maybe even dangerous yeah Gorham wasn't suicidal mm-hmm. but others may have been mm-hmm. can't go there yeah so the moral dilemmas that you have everywhere in life are interesting they're not always binary, as you well know, yeah. as most people may have known. But see if you can walk out at the end of that, and it doesn't matter if a newspaper has a big headline calling you a liar. Mm-hmm. You still know inside yourself that you did the right thing. It's amazing how yeah. little stress it causes <laughs> in comparison. So and that's, that's that, I mean, your own inner compass, isn't it, part, really? Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes we can skew our own compass to suit ourselves. Look, I'm, I'm clearly aware of that. But if that's a better message to leave mm. to people, you, 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 you have to live in yourself. Yeah. You don't have to live in the papers. You don't have to live in social media. Mm. You have to live in yourself. Brilliant. And I've got, I would recommend this book to everyone. I got it here. Oh, Accidental. Oh, I hope you enjoyed Brilliant. it. I did. I did. So, um, it's, 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 by the one thing I would, one thing I would say about yeah. that, the, the book, if I, if I was plugging it in one way, and it's not a real plug, it's just honesty. I didn't tell anyone I was writing it. I just wrote oh, it. Yeah. And uh, so if it's badly written and you don't like it, I can't blame anyway, anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine. Oh, yeah. it's, it's absolutely my fault. Oh, yeah. There's no ghostwriting. There's nothing like that. Um, but I love doing it, and I love sharing it with people. Yeah. And the reaction to, be, to it actually has been lovely, and it's over the last week, it's gone over a figure which yeah. the publishers are hyper excited about. Hence, uh, that's the reason why. Not where I've put it. Anyway, I've written part Probably two. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, well, we'll have to. You have to get you back on with that with that one. But, but I was saying it's a great read, and I really, I really think it's an important read as well. And you know your message, and I think because that is a real conundrum, especially for young people just now. I think you know the, with all the pressure of social media and that to, to find your own way. Huge opportunities, but huge huge pressure as well, I think. It is, and it's, it's trying to also in the midst of it to understand that if you've got a pylon of Twitter on you and, there's, and then you look at it closely and it's actually six people who are <laughs> doing hundreds of, hundreds of tweets to you if you're a youngster and it feels like the whole world, it's not the whole world. In fact, the whole world doesn't know what's going on. It's just a few people, the vast majority of the time. There is a subject which I get trolled every single day of my life on. Every single day, I will get trolled by one or two individuals on this subject, which has happened 15 years ago, right? Yeah. I don't care. It's only a small number. The vast majority of people out there are actually perfectly fair and reasonable and understanding. It's so hard to feel that when you're reading a negative thing, yeah. but it is the reality. If people want to catch up with you on social media, Pat, where should they where should they go? Is it Twitter you use the most? Well, they're, they're, waste, they're kind of wasting their time a wee bit. Are they? <laughs> because as I um, 
as I often say, I, I tweet religiously at least once per annum. Um, <laughs> I, what I do is I, I, I do use, and I'm happy to say the word use, yeah. I use social media. Um, so if I have something to, to share, to give out um, and send to people, uh, I'll do it. So if I've got a book out or if I'm uh-huh. doing something you want to hear about uh, or something I've, I've seen that I love, I'll, I'll put it on, right? And it, it's just not that often. Uh, it really isn't very often. And then I'll just leave it. Like, so there was a picture of N'Golo Kanti reading my book the other day. Well, that was oh, great. Yeah. Put yeah. it on. That's, that's yeah. fine. It's lovely. It's good. Um, but the concept of having a long engagement yeah. over 140 quali- characters or something complex, I'm afraid it doesn't no. really no. work. I would rather write a book. No. So... But people Twitter. can get your book on Amazon, can't they? It's on Amazon. I yeah, it, so. Amazon. Yeah. You know, you can get it on Amazon quickly. You can get it on you know, Waterstones. You can. I love the independent book stores. Oh, they've okay. been they've been great sellers great. of it as well. But uh, yeah, to be fair, most people go to Amazon. It turns up the next day. <laughs> I know it's spoiled now. Well, that's brilliant, Pat. I really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to speak to us today and, and it's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. It's, it's been a pleasure. Cheers.